One thing I really enjoy in life is live music. I love going to listen to a band and singing along with a packed crowd. Back in April, Emily and I went to see Pete and Diesel. It was great. I may even have broken into a little dance at one point. And in November, I'll be going to see another one of my favorite bands, Idlewild, playing Manchester. I'm really looking forward to it. Now, most bands go out on tour after they've released a new album. They want to play their new music in front of their fans in person. (coughs) However, if you've ever been to a gig, you will know that it's not only new music that gets played. Bands will always open their set and finish their encore with older songs that the audience know well. In fact, throughout the performance, the majority of the songs will be old ones. And this is because bands know that their fans want to hear their favourites. They want to sing along with the songs that they know well. And they'd be very disappointed if they went to a performance and everything was new. So when you go to see a band touring a new album, you will discover that the new songs are interspersed among the old. When they come to them, the band will introduce their new material and the fans will listen and and pick up the words. And slowly but surely, the fans are allowed to discover the new direction that the band is going in. All good live bands know this. Their fan base is built on their back catalogue. Going forwards, they'll pick up new fans with the new music, but they've got to take their original fans with them. And music fans also themselves know this to be true. Fans like me who collect the albums of certain bands can see the musical progression of a band down through the years. We can see how one album leads in to another. But you often need time and perspective to fully understand the change. I love live music and I encourage you to go and see some for yourself. But let's move on from that illustration to now think about Jesus. At the beginning of the Gospels, Jesus arrives on the scene And he starts playing something very new. He is announcing the kingdom of God. He's traveling the land and he's offering his listeners an invitation to come and know God for themselves. He's offering them forgiveness for their sins. He's making them a promise for eternal life. At the same time, he's demonstrating to them a completely new way of being a human, showing everyone how to live according to God's plans and purposes. Jesus' teaching is very new and incredibly exciting. It's also being backed up by miracles and healings and exorcisms, all of which go to demonstrate the power of his words and the truthfulness of his promise. So it's no surprise as we start reading the Gospels that we find that crowds are flocking to Jesus to hear what he has to say. However, when these crowds get to Jesus and they really take the time to listen to him, 
they discover something surprising, something rather incredible. Not everything Jesus says is new. Rather little of it, actually. Because, in actual fact, everything that Jesus is doing and saying is the fulfilment of what has gone before. Jesus' appearance and his teaching and his miracles are the fulfilment of centuries of prophecies and promises. Jesus' ministry is the complete outworking of the covenants that God made with his people right through the Old Testament as we find it in our Bibles. They line up exactly. And what this means is that as Jesus travels the land teaching, he's not a loose cannon. He's not a madman. He's not just a great orator with a few magic tricks up his sleeve. He's someone of depth, value. He's someone who stands on centuries of history. He's someone who can be trusted. He is the fulfillment of God's work. Indeed, he's showing himself to be God. And when the Jews of the first century saw the old and the new coming together in this way, many of them realised that something truly exciting was happening. Jesus couldn't just be dismissed. He had to be taken notice of. And as Matthew writes his gospel, specifically originally to a Jewish audience, this was his message to his readers. Jesus is the fulfillment of our whole way of life. All of our laws, all of our traditions, all of our hopes. We cannot ignore Jesus. We cannot let him go. We have nothing without our Messiah. Yes, Jesus is doing new things and he's acting in surprising ways at times, but don't let that put you off. Because if you go along with this Jesus, you will hear the best music that you've ever heard. If you sing along with him, you'll find yourself transported to a whole new world, the glorious kingdom of God. Okay. The music illustration is my own imperfect analogy. But I'm trying to get us to understand what Jesus' words meant in the final verses of our reading. In verse 52, Jesus said to them, Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So Matthew is describing Jesus as someone who is bringing something incredibly new to bear on the world. Yet at the same time, he is fulfilling all of the old. He is bringing the centuries past to their proper conclusion. And by presenting Jesus in such a way, Matthew is telling his readers that Jesus is a character of of such importance, such dynamism... You have to respond to him. You have to respond to Jesus. And you have to do it wholeheartedly. When you come to hear Jesus' message, 
You either invite him into your life and try to follow him with everything you've got, or you don't at all. There's no halfway house. There's no half measures. And Jesus himself taught this to be the case. Jesus knows that he's bringing the kingdom of God to earth. That means he's bringing God's reign and rule and presence to bear on this world as we know it. And this is a move so powerful, eventually the whole of creation will be transformed by it. Heaven is coming to earth. The Bible tells us that the kingdom of God began to arrive at Bethlehem at Christmas. It was fully established that the cross and the empty tomb, and one day it will be completed in full when Jesus comes back again. So the kingdom of God is something that is all-pervading, all-encompassing. There's no way of ignoring its implications. The kingdom of God isn't just a pleasurable religious idea that we can think about for an hour or two when we get time and then forget. It isn't like an object that we go to visit in an art gallery or museum. It's nice while we're nearby, but we soon leave it behind again. No. Kingdom of God is like a fabulous hoard of treasure that's ours for the taking. A treasure that will transform the whole of our lives forevermore, but only if we recognize its proper value. In other words, the kingdom of God is offered by Jesus to us all, but only some will receive it. The kingdom of God could never be deserved, but we have to accept it. It could never be earned, but it will cost us everything to take hold of it. And in our passage today, Jesus gave two parables to kind of hit this point home. The parables of the hidden treasure and the parable of the precious pearl. Both these parables stress the incalculable value of God's kingdom. It's worth any sacrifice. But explain to us that the cost of it is everything. Let's listen to them again. Verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had. And bought the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. Now, there are a couple of things that we need to learn from these parables. First of all, we learn from these parables that people discover the kingdom of God in different ways. Some people discover Jesus in their life almost completely unexpectedly. There they are, plowing the familiar furrow of life, when suddenly they hit treasure. Maybe these people are invited to a one-off church event. Maybe they hear somebody's testimony somewhere. Maybe they witness a miracle, or they've been through a period of suffering and they've cried out a prayer and it was answered 
doesn't matter how it happens, but somehow God has found a way to break into their life. And in no time at all, they discover they are deeply loved. I'm sure there'll be people in church today who discovered Jesus like that. Yet there are other people in life who only discover Jesus after a long and patient search. Think of the merchant looking for fine pearls. This is literally his job. He spends every day of his life. He runs his eyes over many second-rate pearls before he finally finds the sparkling one. So maybe these are like people who tore the land. They've read many books, science and politics and philosophy and religion. Maybe they've even attended different faith groups. They've been to a mosque, they've been to a temple, they've been to a synagogue. But one day in their search for the truth, they come across the gospel. They meet Jesus and they learn of the kingdom of God that he's bringing to earth. And in that moment, they discover that it's the most lovely thing in all the world. The first thing we learn in these parables is that people discover Jesus in different ways. Some by accident, some after a long search for the truth. But either way, when you encounter Jesus, you then face a decision. And the reason for this need of a decision is the second thing that we learn from the parables. The kingdom of God is exclusive of all others. Some people throughout the centuries have collected pearls. They add one pearl at a time to their collection because they're rare, they're expensive. And slowly but surely they add to their collection until eventually they have enough to make up a fine necklace or a bracelet, a whole string of pearls. And in the same way, many people today collect ideologies and worldviews and religions. I'll have a few Reiki crystals here, and I'll have a fairy over there, and I'll attend a seance here, and I'll have a bit of Buddhism, I quite like that, over there, and I'll worship the sun on the longest day of the year, and I'll have a bit of that new age healing and yoga. Oh, and on top I'll put a little bit of Jesus, because he was a good teacher, you know. Emily and I have family members who are just like that. I'm sure many of us do. But these parables clearly tell us that the kingdom of God doesn't work like that. There is only one hoard of treasure. There is only one great pearl. And everything else is as nothing beside it. In fact, if you think of that necklace, every other pearl distracts from the splendor of Jesus rather than adding to it. And that's because Jesus is the only God-man. Jesus is the only one who completes the past and guarantees the future. He is the only one in whom old and new meet. Without Jesus, the Jews of Matthew's day just had the old, and it was incomplete. Without Jesus, they had nothing. And the same is true today. Without Jesus, 
We are lost in life with nothing of value and no hope at all. And this is why it's perfectly reasonable for Jesus to ask us to sell everything we have in order to gain him. We're to give up all those other crutches and place our weight on Christ. And that may seem like a big call, a really big call. But the promise is that we'll end up with something better by far. So far then, we've discovered that by fulfilling the past, Jesus is offering something new and unique. Only he can offer the kingdom of God because only he is the king of that kingdom. Only he can offer the forgiveness for our sin. Only he can offer the hope for the day of our death. Only he can make a promise for a renewed heaven and earth when he comes back again. Nothing else in life offers us this. So we must choose Jesus wholeheartedly. But there's one more thing to say. We have to make that decision urgently. There is a time constraint on our decision for Jesus. And this is where the final parable of the net comes into play. Many people today believe that life just goes round in circles. What was that famous song from the Lion King? The circle of life. People believe because the hands on a clock go round and round and the seasons go round and round, year after year, that there is always more time to come. Always more time to make a decision about what we believe. But again, the Bible's comment on this is that no, that that's just not the truth. Because the Bible doesn't present time as going around in circles. It presents it as a straight line. It's heading in one direction. And it's going there quite fast. One day, Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he is going to bring the kingdom of God in full. One day, God's rule and reign and presence is going to flood everything that exists. And heaven will come to earth. And to enable that to happen... When Jesus arrives, there will be a final judgment. And there will be a dividing line drawn between those who gave everything they had to get hold of Jesus and those who rejected him. Because when Jesus comes back, God is going to remake the world the way that he wants it. Full of peace and joy and blessing. And only those who have found their lives formed by the justice and the truth of God will find their place within that renewed world. Those whose lives continue to reflect injustice, and darkness and brokenness and division will find that they are not in the kingdom of God. And Jesus illustrates this to his audience by speaking of a fisherman bringing his catch to the shore and only the good fish can be kept for use the others must be thrown away before their diseases infect the whole catch 
so too Jesus says it will be at the end of the age. And as I stand here this morning looking out at church, looking out at the supposedly Christian community of Isla beyond it, I am very grateful that this is not my job. This is not my job to determine who the real and the false believers are. This task belongs solely to God, who really knows our hearts and really knows the decision that we have made. All I can do from this pulpit is impress on you and on myself the urgency of giving everything to take hold of the pearl. So to bring to a conclusion what we have thought about today, when Jesus came to earth, he brought something very new with him, the great kingdom of God. It started arriving, it will arrive in full when he comes back. Everything Jesus said can be trusted because it was the completion of centuries of prophecies and promises that came before him. So as we hear Jesus' invitation to us to come into his kingdom, we know we must respond to it. The treasure on offer is of such value, we don't want to miss it. So we need to choose Jesus. Above all other beliefs, above other distractions, above our busyness, sometimes even above our jobs and our friends, we need to choose Jesus. But in these moments when that seems hard, when it seems like a big call to prioritise Jesus above everything else, let's remember what he first did for us. Jesus didn't just sell everything he had. He gave up the majesty of heaven to come to a life of poverty on earth. He gave up his life by going to the cross and dying a cruel death so that we might know forgiveness, healing and life. None of us deserve to be in the kingdom of God. We're welcomed because Jesus gave his life for us. To Jesus, we are his treasure who he gave up everything for. As Christians, we prioritise Jesus because he first prioritised us. We give him our lives because he gave us his own.